Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Bienvenue. Hola. Sup. Welcome to What's Your Dinner, episode 191. Got 191 episodes. And uh, this week, I'm um, here with Allison at the Laugh Your Asheville Off Comedy Festival uh, here in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. First, I want to give a shout-out to uh, everybody at the festival, all the comics, um, the producers, especially Charlie, for putting together an amazing festival. If you guys are in the Asheville area and you want to see great comedy, I'm sure they're going to have it for 2017 as well. Do not miss this. Like, really great group of comics, a whole lot of fun, amazing shows. I've been having a whole lot of fun uh, not only working with these new comics, but also reconnecting with some uh, old friends, including um, the person we're sitting down with, uh, or lying down with, uh, Carl LeBeau, legendary comic, one of the original outlaws of comedy who uh, started with uh, the likes of Sam Kinison and Bill Hicks. And uh, he is uh, chilling in our room, lying on the couch, because as you hear, he kind of threw his back out. Um, but this was such a fun episode. Um, re- over an hour, we talked. Uh, Carl really um, just shared some amazing stories uh, about Sam Kinison, about how starting with Kinison, seeing Kinison perform, um, you know, the, a lot of the, uh, the, the the ride that was Sam Kinison. He also talked a lot about the early days of the Comedy Store and how he first met and befriended Robin Williams. Just some really, really great comedy stories, along with talking about the uh, art of comedy and just um, the love of it. And... Um, like I said, Allison is here too, adorable and funny as usual, right, honey? Not sure if you heard it. She said "e," which is Allison for a yes. Uh, so really, uh, uh, just a great comedy episode this week. And uh, hey, guys, if you're in town um, and you want to see me live, I hope you get on a cruise ship because for the next month, starting September 28th, I'll be on the Norwegian Escape for the entire month from September 28th through uh, I'm sorry, August 28th through September 20... No, I was right the first time. September 28th through October 25th. No. No, September... What the hell am I doing? August 28th through September 25th. This is why the calendar on MacBooks suck. So August 28th through September 25th, I'll be on the Norwegian Escape. And then uh, uh, September 30th and August 1st, I'll be at JR's Comedy Club in Valencia, California, and the following week, Allison and I are on a little North Carolina tour, so you can go to, excuse me, North, Northern California. What the fuck is wrong with me today? I don't know either, honey. I think, I'm not even smoking weed, but I think you're just, I'm getting it osmosis from you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you can catch all those dates on my website. Test, test, one, two, three. <clears throat> and uh, guys... Real quick, just for this week, if you're hearing this, the week of August 23rd, I am uh, actually in a big contest. It's on uh, Indio.com, and uh, I have a little clip on there, and um, basically it's all about just seeing the clip, liking it, and sharing it. Uh, If you go to my website, flipisfunny.com, there is uh, a little mention of it on the homepage, and there's a link to it right off there. So if you can, go to the web, that website, uh, click the video, say you liked it, 
and uh, share it if you can. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, also, and I did mention this in the show, but I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit and I love to plug. I have a brand new CD out called Flipsophrenic and a comedy special called Supercilious, both available from my website. You can also get any of my CDs on iTunes and Amazon. All right, I am done rambling right now. You guys sit back, enjoy episode 191 of What's for Dinner with Carl LeBeau. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Sit down and she's eating bread in the background. Just makes for great sound effects. It does, just because it's soft bread. If it was crunchy bread, like toast, I'd know that you're doing this really early in the day. Oh, part. Oh, are you guys started? Yeah. It's part toast, part soft. Listen. Oh, I, I can smell the salt over here. <laughs> That's good. That's it's a sea you bread. That's sea bread. That's sea bread? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> so I, I'm sorry your back's uh, blew out, man. That sucks. Once a year. Really? Yeah, it started uh, t- 10 years ago. Was it there? Was there an incident or just? Yeah, I was writing for five hours at a table. I lived in New York, and I was writing. I was working on this book thing I was doing, mm-hmm. and I was writing for those hours. And then I went to stand up because I had a two-hour train ride to a one-nighter that night. <sighs> so I stood up, and my lower back just went. No, you not. <sighs> so were you like bent over? It was oh, because you I was bent over? over, and I had 15 steps to go out of the front door to walk 15 minutes to the F train to get to the city to change trains and it felt like uh, all I did was cry all the way there and it was winter so my oh. tears kept freezing on my eye eye face in your eye face yeah on my eye face so it was like the most pain I'd ever been in my dad had a bad back growing up uh, so I saw you know I saw his pain oh uh, yeah she's got like awful back because she's actually got three herniated discs in her spine uh-huh she's counseling pain and ironically, bef- like two days before we came here, I was uh, back at home and I had a bad allergy attack and I sneezed so hard I blew a muscle right in my back over here. Wow. So I was in excruciating pain. Like I, s- I couldn't bend yeah. over. I couldn't extend yeah. my arm. It was I was crying too. It was uh, brutal. So I feel your pain, man. Well, the only thing good about it is like once a year I get to watch TV for a week. Look at Always looking on the bright side, man. What is this Kardashian thing? <laughs> I never, I heard about it, but I never get to watch it. Well, once upon a time, there mm-hmm. was three sluts, <laughs> and they all started with K. Yeah. One of them fucked a black man on film. <laughs> and on film? On film. And the whole empire began. <laughs> nice. That's <laughs> crazy. Well, you've, you've, you've been in the game, like, when did you start, man? I started stand-up in 1979. 79. Uh-huh. So you've lived through more pop culture phenomenons than oh most yeah. people can realize. Because yeah. that's what comics tend to focus on that. I'm like, what's going on in pop culture? What's in the zeitgeist? And kind of, When you I know, started, the hula hoop was huge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for the kids. You know, you've been around a long time. I remember the song, the first night. I'd, Come on, baby, <laughs> do the twist. <laughs> wow, you have been doing it a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 79. You started uh, in, uh... Well, actually, I did it once. 
I try. I went to the comedy club. I didn't try it yet, but I went to. I was an actor first, so I uh, lived four hours north of Los Angeles. I lived in Lompoc, California, or Vandenberg Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force. Okay. So right after graduated high school, I had some teachers that. You know, hey, you, why don't you do a play in downtown? I didn't want to do this play, and I did it. And I loved it. I loved the experience. And then they talked me into going to L.A., and they had a, an end with an acting class, so I took my – my dad drove me down. For and For the audition, and I auditioned in L.A. and got in. Nice. And my dad got an extra job. He was Air Force all day long, and he sold cars at night to – assist me because I had a job that paid, you know, 115 a week or whatever it was. I was oh, working wow. at a country club, washing dishes and stuff. And so I went to L.A. twice a week. And after doing that for about a year, my acting coach talked me into going to the comedy store because I had to do all my scene work alone because everyone else lived in L.A. and they got to rehearse all week. Mm -hmm. But for me, I had to write my own little solo pieces to perform in front of the classes because I lived so far away. But they all steered toward humor. My dad loved comedy. I was raised in comedy and music. And so I just always turned it into something for me. And he goes, you ought to go to the comedy store. So I went. And my, my last name is above of an L. L-A-B-O-V-E. It's Louisiana French. Right. I think it means what you, anything out of a ditch. <laughs> so Art LeBove owned the main room next door to the original room at the comedy store. Oh, they were... There were separately. two separate rooms. Really? Uh-huh. So at Mitzi So at the time, she only owned the original room. Oh, uh, no kidding. And uh, when I went there, the doorman took your ID, and he saw mine, and he gave me this eyes-open look, <laughs> went, oh, come on in. And they walked me in, and for two weeks in a row, I went, and I saw Letterman, I saw Robin Williams, I saw all these guys. So this would have been 77 or so, 78, wow. something like that. Like right in the heyday. And yeah. And I got to sit in the back of the room and watch for two weeks in a row. And then on the third week, somebody else was working the door. And I showed him my ID and he went, hey, you're not Lebeau, Art LeBeau's son. Because Art LeBeau was L-A-B-O-E. And he was this famous DJ in the 60s. And uh, he owned the main room, which was Ciro's and all right. this, you know, the things that he had done. And then, uh, so that was the end of that because I wouldn't know that. But years later... During our heyday, me and Kenneth and all that stuff, Art LeBeau came in and saw our show, and we hung out with him for another year or two. He wanted to adopt me, <laughs> so it was great, <laughs> you know, to finally meet this guy and tell yeah, him yeah, that yeah. story. Yeah, I got in because of our names, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Man. And then, in, so when you uh, you started in '79 at the stores, no, me. no, I started in 1979 in, in Houston. I did a movie, made a lot of money. Uh, I got in Screen Actors Guild. It's called High Riders. Darby Hinton was the star of the, the movie. It was his first starring role. He used to be the little boy on Daniel Boone. Oh, okay. So it was 10 years later. So he was 21 or 22. And it was uh, you know, a car movie, biker gang stuff. And I was a comic relief in the biker gang. Cool. And uh, I got blown away at the end at a gas pump with all the squibs on my chest and the shotgun blast and the slow motion fall away. And it oh, so that's cool. So uh, that movie came out, and then I went back to my hometown and got to see it at the drive-in with my girlfriend and all of our friends. So like 50 cars from all the high school buddies showed up at the drive-in. And then a couple nights later, it was on base at the theater. So I went to that, too. Um, and to and was your dad there, too, to see it? Oh, yeah. That's oh, cool. yeah. That was great. Yeah. So when I got 
you know, when I made my money, I asked my dad, how much money do you owe for all uh, that you've invested uh, over in me? And uh, what's your debt? And he just, he was like, oh, like, you're so ashamed. Like, it's like $8,000. You know, and this is the 70s. Yeah. And I went, all right, I'm paying it all off. And so I paid off all of his debt. Oh, man. For, for what he had gone through for a couple of years to, you know, to help me. He was just so positive and motivational. And, you know, he took me aside after he, he retired. And he said, you know, I saluted all these years. I said, no. And he goes, so you wouldn't have to. So whatever it is that you want to do, Go do it with all your heart, and you'll find it. You'll find whatever it is you yeah, and I support it, whatever that man. is, you know. Yeah, so I got into crack for a long time. Nice. What? No, what? No. And so I, I paid off all of his debts, and he wanted to move closer to his family in Texas. So uh, I helped him move down there, and he got a job at a gas station. He wanted to own one. And um, I got a job with him, so we worked together for a summer before I was going to go back to L.A., and he showed me a newspaper article that said a comedy club was opening. In Houston. And so if you'd like to try this, come on down. He goes, I think you ought to try this. So I went and tried it and fell in love with it because I took my acting stuff and realized I could write my own script every night. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the moment's right there. You're getting that instant feedback and, and what you can create. So that's how it started. So, okay, so that in Houston, that was the, uh, I want to say, not the comedy stuff. Comedy workshop. Comedy workshop. Mm -hmm. Comedy workshop. And that and that's where uh, like the outlaws were initially uh, formed. Yeah, right? later they were called that. But yeah, that was you know there was guys. I remember the first night I went, they go see that next guy going up. I go yeah, and he goes, he's the Ronald McDonald, Steve Epstein. He's the Ronald McDonald in Houston. So like everybody had these day thing. One guy was a radio guy, and like you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. uh, so I met these guys, and you know the names that came out of it. Of course, uh, Fred Greenlee. He toured for many many years. Very funny. Um, Bob Barber uh, turned into a big writer for MTV mm -hmm. and a bunch of other things. Uh, Pineapple, uh, uh, Jimmy Pineapple, Jimmy Pineapple, of course. Yep. And then, uh, um, what's uh, my buddy? I just did his podcast. Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ is your buddy. And yes. He's a podcast. We go way back. What is it called? He's Holy known shit. me since I was born. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Shit, <laughs> yeah. with Jesus Christ. McGrew, Steve McGrew. Oh, McGrew. Mudflap, yeah, Steve McGrew. Yeah. You know? And his early act, I mean, we all laugh because, you know, our early acts that mm. we had were just imbecile. Of but, course, of course. But it was 12 guys that attacked, you know, and Bill Hicks and Kinnison. And mm -hmm. it was just 12 guys that attacked every night. But what I loved about the experience is because we had all decided to do it. Like, we did it a couple, two different weeks in a row, I think it was. And then uh, they said, listen, we're going to open a little room. It's going to be 80 seats. Because they had a theater there, like 200-something seats. But they had, like, a planned improv group that did plays all year long so they'd write a play that would last a season and they'd do another one and uh so they're gonna open a little room out on the side 80 seats and so there's only 12 of us so we just supported each other so if you you had to do 15 minutes each night to make the show last two hours or three hours the way that little bar made some money and they would keep it open for us. So, of course, no one's got 15 minutes in the beginning. Right. So when you're doing it, if someone's starting to fail, then two guys would get together, huddle up, and do, you know, improv. And then you just attack the stage, attack the act, fake beat him up, and then run off. And, you know, and the crowd would go nuts. Like, what's going on? You know, and just that way it was always something going on. Yeah, and that's how like, we all protected each other. Like it is 
guerrilla kind of comedy. Exactly. That was just kind yeah. of this free and form. then clo- slowly over the next two months, people developed the 15 minutes, the 20 minutes that you could have, you know. Oh, that's fantastic. The fact that you guys, you know, not only had the support, but you had that uh, venue for that outlet to really yeah. develop that fast. That's yeah. incredible. There yeah. was nothing there. So it was, you know, uh, during that time, I don't know how many clubs are in the country. Not very many. No, not in the... S- not, not 79. No, no, no. So the big, you know, some guys would, you know, six, seven months in when you realize this is something I'd like to do. Uh, and we started building crowds every night. We were sold out just about every night. And then they started to pay us five bucks on the weekend, ten bucks on the weekend. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still yeah. have a copy of the very first check I ever got for doing comedy, 25 bucks oh, to nice. host at a bar back yeah. in 94. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's so, like... Uh, but at the time, it's like, I made this doing comedy. I made it, yeah, exactly. This, it's this, a pride thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's almost there. Okay. One day, one day soon, <laughs> somebody will pay me. I won't just have to keep smoking everybody out to get spots. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. I'm you, kidding. You're, you were so funny last night. You remind me of a cheerleader of comedy. I was dying. You walked off. I go, look at everyone. There's like this wake of happy smiles. Oh, that's yes. what, Thank you. That's uh-huh. like makes my whole life. You have no idea. <laughs> that's what I want to do. I just want to make people happy, and I want to do it for a living. And then I fell into dealing medical marijuana right. and, and, and doing comedy, so it's perfect. And for any legalities, by dealing medical marijuana, she means she... Shares with yes. other patients. She deals with other people. That she are deals with other pa- uh-huh. people who yeah. have their prescriptions right. and are legally uh, right. able to smoke. Yes. I'm sh- I'm sure every federal agent that is listening to the Flip Schultz <laughs> podcast <laughs> is very is very curious about what I'm doing. Ah, <laughs> uh, bitch. <laughs> oh, she's right. Um, yeah. So 79, you guys, uh, you're all doing this. And you stayed in Houston for a while doing this, right? A year. A year. Yeah. And then did you guys just decide to go out together? No, it wasn't that easy. It wasn't like, you know what, let's just go for it. Uh, me and Sam had become really tight. Sam had a younger brother named Kevin, who was my age. And the three of us were inseparable. So we just, Sam and I thought the same way about stand-up and had the same um, heart for it. Mm-hmm. And we were really competitive against each other in that friendship way. Like, yeah, we, yeah. like whenever we did gigs together, we we'd flip who would headline, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't that guy yet, and I, w- you know, wasn't this either. We so, were, what what was his because what was his style back then? It wasn't the preacher. Like, uh, no, it wasn't. No, no. But he did like impressions, but they were <laughs> religious based impressions. You know, Jesus in a hurry. Yeah, you're healed. Come on, let's go. Yep, leg's fine. Let's move it. i got to be in Jerusalem in two hours. Come on. You know, just just weird stuff. Uh, he had characters, Bebo Buckface. Uh, he just did weird stuff. And then, of course, I did too. I did a bit called uh, First Elevator from the Earth to the Moon. And it was like a five-minute piece where I stood there and waited. <laughs> you know, because it was so abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so I fell in love with silence, and I fell in love with uh, making a crowd be entertained by watching my face. He's going to get on the elevator. No, he's not. He's not. Oh, wow. It's not there yet. And then I'd look up and look at my watch. And then, it, then I'd go, ding. And then the crowd started applauding. I'd step on. And then I'd go, <laughs> and then I'd act like I was waiting to get to the moon. <laughs> and I'd look over the next guy and go, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> but not starting any conversation, just that uncomfortable elevator ride shit. But it's to the moon. So that, you know, that was funny to me. And yeah, I, yeah, so. Oh, 
I would draw that out. I had another piece where eventually I built up to it where I'd walk on stage and I uh, had a drink in my hand. It was full of ice. And I'd take the, uh, the I'd get on stage and take one piece of ice in my mouth and then hold the uh, glass down below by my belt. And I'd open my eyes up real wide and then open my mouth and the ice, ice would drop out of my mouth into the, the glass. <laughs> Tink! And I'd, uh, whoa! And so then I'd take it out and then I put it down on the floor the glass and then stand there and just drop that ice cube out and dink and go in the glass oh, wow. and then i put my finger up to the crowd like no we're not done but i hadn't said a word yet and then i climbed up on the stool and i stood up with my head up against the ceiling like this ceiling was like an inch away from my head mm-hmm. and i'd look and i got the spot and I'd open my mouth and the ice would drop up blink and hit the glass and the place would go nuts and then i'd act like i was going to get off the chair and I had it where I'd flip the chair out and I'd fall flat on my chest onto the floor, which had a little sponginess to it. And I'd slam on the floor. The glass would shoot off. Ice would shoot everywhere. And I'd pop right back up and go, and now let's start. I took stunt school and stuff. When I, so Maybe I knew that's how to what fall. happened to your back, yeah, man. Yeah. Maybe it's Steve no, falling. No, never had a problem from any of that stuff. It was writing. <laughs> <laughs> Heard it writing. <laughs> so fall, so falling face first off a stool three feet in, off the air, right. flat onto your chest, nothing. You only do it on the spongy floor. Yeah, of course. Yes, but writing that's yeah. what. And then I had what. another bit that turned into a big thing called the the moth, uh, where we had a wall behind us and it was made of wood, and the spotlight was on you and the microphone in the the back of this wall in this very small room, and so I'd walk up on stage and I'd go, "Thank you, ladies and gentlemen." This wall and this light, this is your night light. I am a moth. And I'd walk all the way back to the back corner over here where the path was to the stage. And I'd start flapping my arms like a moth. Mm -hmm. And I'd run 100 miles an hour, smash into the (laughs) wall and fall on the floor. Then I'd get back up, and I'd shake it off, and I'd do my arms, and I'd walk back out to the wall, and I'd come back and smash into the wall and do it again. You know, like moths do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I did that bit for months, and every night after I got good at it, I'd go home and I'd pick out splinters <laughs> out of my elbow where I was hitting the wall, wall so hard that it eventually left two stains of where my elbows constantly hit. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw comedy very physical. I, I oh, just, yeah, you know, yeah. that was how I saw, you know. I, um, I was the same way, like, um, like early, early stuff, because, uh, like, Robin was a big influence to me and like Steve Martin. So I loved just high energy and absurd things like that. Yeah. Um, so I was co- very animated, very physical. Yeah. I would come on stage to, uh, you know, uh, with the romantics, what I'd like about you uh-huh. and yeah. just dance like a fucking monkey. Just, right. to, you know, and then I don't know about you, but after a little while I felt that it was, I, I was, I lost the heart of the physicality that, uh, Oh, Allison's setting up some pillows for his feet. We gotta take a picture of this. Go get your head in there, honey. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) It's crazy. Yes, thank you. Like, did you find after a little while, like the physicality was becoming too much of a hindrance and taken away from what you really wanted to do? Uh, No, no, it just evolves. Everything evolves. I never thought of it that way. It's just that you know, as as the experiences came. I uh, started getting gigs. Uh, then you're away from your group, and then you start doing maybe road gigs, or you're on the, you know, you're out by yourself, and then you see a whole different group of guys with something else to say, and it inspires you, and you go back home, and then you have an experience and 
talk about a breakup or you talk about, you know, this, you don't act it out yet. And, but what it helped me out is uh, with act outs. I act out. Mm -hmm. So I set up my scenarios now and then it's act outs and it's truth and it's this and that. But it's, it turns into your own individual way of communicating. Your own voice, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was raised in Japan. Guam I had friends that couldn't speak English because my dad was in the Air Force. So I talked mime to friends growing up. I learned guitar from a Japanese guy who didn't speak English. So those kind of things where you, know, you, you have to act out to get your point across. So later as an adult, it's a part of you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm the same way. I think it also comes from you and I are, have theater backgrounds. And, uh -huh. you know, we learn about character development. Right. And about... Uh, you Subtlety, know. facial, exactly. all, all, all that stuff. That exactly. way when you do do character and somebody else said something to you, you're actually doing it. Right, right. Even when you're not thinking about it. I used to work out in the front of the mirror when I first started. Yeah, same here. And then after that first year, it was, it was done. I didn't need to memorize a face for a response because it eventually became an honest response. Yeah, organic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, so you were in Houston till about what year? And then you moved back A year later. So I moved in 80. Oh, to L.A. in 80? Yeah. yeah. Did you move so it started in, so anyway, I, uh, Sam and I had become tight. Uh, they tried to have rules at the comedy club, and that's what we loved about it. It was, we were all developing at the same time, but they brought in an artistic director, and they wanted to, everyone to do exactly the same act every single night. Uh, yeah. Uh, but not only that, but they wanted to see who they, who would make the weekend shows, because now it was paying 25 bucks or whatever, so. Uh, they wanted, you know, whoever basically wins out during the week because there was maybe 20 comics by this time. Uh, then those particular 10 get to perform on the weekend. So show us the material you're doing this weekend. Hone it by Wednesday, and we'll let you know if you're performing Friday or Saturday. So we'd go, of course. And then we'd go in there and do whatever we wanted, you know, because it's the spirit of the room. Right, right, right. And it's what we're doing it for. Um, so they eventually, you know, kicked us out. They kicked you out. Yeah. Hmm. So it was. Oh. It, there was a fights. There was arguments. There was there was a power struggle between guys who really loved the art, and then some guys that wanted to play, that wanted to set rules, and you know Sam was older. He was twenty five. He had been a preacher for seven years. At that and point. how old were you at this time? I was twenty. Okay. So. Uh, but I had an acting background and I had those experiences already. So I knew what I was wanting to develop into, but I didn't want to turn into robotic or play by this particular guy's rules. Cause at that time we didn't care for him. Now, later in life, you realize that guy was doing the best he could. And, but then he was just, uh, you know, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time for us. Cause he was a power figure. Right. You know, he was a square. Yeah. He was square. He came across as a square and we just <laughs> weren't putting up with it. So we were smart asses. We did what we wanted and we, and it, turned into a power play and so they let us go <laughs> they relieved us until by that point you guys were like but it was a great excuse for us to move out because we yeah. kept saying we we're going to do it anyway but then we were procrastinators like anybody is and yeah i'm going to move to la and go for it you know and you're still there because you're a big fish in a small pond oh, yeah. i also had a gig at a sheridan on weekends where i made money i also stripped for four months i was a stripper i got talked into it by some audience members that came in some girls came in one night and saw it so i stripped uh, and made fifteen hundred bucks a weekend. Wow! Friday and Saturday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was a blast. I will pay you fifteen hundred bucks if you close your set tomorrow night stripping. Oh, that's how I close my set now. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Well, then I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Verbal contract. Verbal contract. Hold him to it. 
Yeah, that's something you do in your 20s. You yeah, know, yeah, not me. Yeah, right. I've always had the body of E.T. Yeah, so. right. Because <laughs> when you get on naked, they all go, go home. They go, go home. <laughs> no, the women just, they look at me and they go, ouch. 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 Yeah. You'll be right here. I'll be right Right over yeah. there. Yeah. Just <laughs> turn off your heart light. But all those things I found myself in, you know, I got talked into stripping, and that was a thing for me and Kevin to, to go do. Because he was the best-looking Kennison. He was the sharp dresser. He was a, a little badass, you know, rich kid. Did Whereas Sam? Did you guys ever go there when Kevin was doing his thing and just heckle him? When Sam was performing? When Kevin was, was stripping, you and Sam ever go oh, there no, and Sam did, uh, Kevin didn't strip. Sam, Kevin was like my best friend. He would go with me, and we would, we'd had women for the first time in our lives. Because it's like a buffet. Oh, yeah. You know, you dance, and then you pick one. Mm, you two. Twins? Come here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just, you know, oh. it was 79. It was that. It was that time. Yeah, yeah, it was that time. So it was that experiences, too. So to go from a guy who didn't have much sex and then all of a sudden uh, have sex all the time with my buddy so that we could, you know, experience. You had sex we had with girlfriends. Your buddy? You know, we had girlfriends, and we were just... You know, he was hanging out. He he had the job, by the way. He worked a regular job. He worked at a clothing store. So, you know, he taught me how to tie a tie. I didn't even know how to tie a tie, you know. So we had really cool clothes. We looked good all the time. That's cool, and man. And we had girls on us. And then we brought them to the comedy clubs. And then the other guys then met girls through us. And, you know, it became that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where, uh, Plus he by referral. Right. Yeah. And, and Sam was a, a, uh, a Brahma bull. He wasn't the funniest guy. He was funny, but he was more strength than anything else. He was more wisdom than anything else. Yeah. Like it, he had an air because he really was an adult at that young age. If you know, to look back on it now, he was really going on thirty-five for a twenty-five-year-old. Because you know, we walked and talked comedy every night, and then I found out he healed people. He he got married people. He went to thousands of funerals and presided over them. No. You know what I mean? The, the emotional things that he had seen his whole life, because his dad was a preacher, and my dad dabbled in church. My dad was assistant pastor. I was the same Pentecostal, same thing. And I'd lived behind a church. My dad, you know, cleaned the churches on Sundays that, that we went to and cleaned out the baptismal so my brother and I could swim in it for an hour, and then he'd wash it out again. And then that night we watched people get baptized in it and all that, you know. Then Sam's family was the same way, but they were that was their church, or, or they lived in churches before the, uh, you know, they, they came into money. Uh, his dad uh, started preaching that Jesus isn't coming back, which you don't do in Pentecostal religion. Oh. It takes the fear out of it. Yeah. And that, you know, that the God or the Jesus that everyone prays to is already inside each and every one of us. Yeah. So tap into the strength that you already have and create with words and ideas a new path for yourself every day. That's what his dad started preaching. That's what his dad got to. Awesome. Right? They, the church kicked him out. Aye. Pentecostal church, the leaders of Pentecostal came and took his license away. It's so ridiculous. Because he, so he, he was ended, preaching like the real word. He was preaching what he learned. Yeah, yes, the real what word. He experienced. Yeah. Life experience. Absolutely. Yeah, and it was Sam's hero uh, and, and uh, his older brother's hero. Kevin didn't get to know him that well because Kevin was the youngest brother. Uh, he, he died before that, but he became a bus driver. So Sam would ditch school and ride the bus with his father during the day to have time with him because his parents divorced. She left him and went and married one of the wealthiest guys in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a preacher also, a friend of her, of her husband's. Aye. 
but who was a really nice guy, Dr. Marnie. We got to know him very well. And uh, so Kevin was raised very wealthy with cars for Christmas and <laughs> golf clubs and things, whereas the three other boys weren't. So I was a part of that family. So my family became friends with their family and so forth, you know. Now, did you, you like, see all that? just being with Kennison all that time, do you remember when he kind of had that turn to where oh, he... Oh, uh, yeah, the, I was there the day it happened. Please. Uh, he was... We were starving young comics out in L.A., and um, he, we were there maybe eight months, if that. And I came to him one day, and I said, I give up. I'm going home. I can't starve like this anymore. And home, to me, was four hours north. I was going to go back to that little old town, Lompoc, that I was from. Mm -hmm. And I went and lived with a friend for about three months before I couldn't take it anymore. And I got in... Uh, I hitchhiked. I'd wrecked my car. Totaled my station wagon. I had a weird wreck in a station wagon that I had. Uh, I flipped off a mountain that I knew very well. I flipped eight or nine times. Jesus. And it became slow motion. And I just, I had no seatbelt on. And I, I put my knees under the seatbelt, uh, under the uh, steering Stereo. wheel. And in slow motion, the car rotated eight times. Glass went by my face. Seat belts came and went in my peripheral vision where, you know, things were bouncing and breaking and going. But I just felt so safe in this cocoon of an accident. And this voice inside me said, now when this is over, climb out the window, go home, but tomorrow go back to L.A. and continue what you started. And it was so real to me, whether that's how I protected myself during this accident, maybe mm -hmm. it's a mental thing or a mind thing, or near death, which I've had several times after that too. Near death is very, the time condenses into something real special and oh, you know, it's really different. Uh, and I skidded upside down into a fence on the road and I tried to open my door and it wouldn't, it was crushed. And I started to slide over on the ceiling of my car, which is now underneath me to the passenger and water started pouring, I mean, uh, gasoline started pouring all over me. Oh, and I knew I was, uh, I felt that intensity of God, don't let this explode on me. And I burst that windshield out with my, my feet, crawled out and ran down the road and then realized there was no smell and it was water because I had a, a crack in my back window and an empty wheel well oh. in the back of the station where I get it filled up with rain during the week. Oh. And that's what was pouring all over me was water. Oh. So that woke me up back into reality. Uh, a car came by, and I was 22 miles from town. And I waved at as they drove by. They'd obviously driven by my wreck a little earlier, and then they saw me, but they kept on driving. They were scared. But 10 minutes later, I saw the cop lights. But it gave me about a half an hour to walk at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning out by myself in the mountains. And I got my whole new plan together of who I was going to become that I wasn't going to let L.A. defeat me. I wasn't going to let starving defeat me. I was going to change my mindset and go back and be more professional. And the next day, my best friend who I was living with bought my totaled car. They couldn't believe I survived it. Bought it for 400 bucks and sold it for parts for the next three years <sighs> and got way more money than, you know. But I had 400 bucks to go back to L.A. I went out the street the next day to go out of Lompoc, four hours from L.A., put my thumb out. The first truck that came by was a guy I went to high school with, <laughs> picked me up, dropped me off at an apartment building, Oakwood, Gar Oakwood 
apartment complex on Barham oh, in L.A. We, live, we used to live right down the street in okay. Burbank. And just about everybody moves to Oakwood Garden Apartments when they first moved to L.A. Right, right, right. And I had an acting buddy that lived there. And I went, I walked down to the apartments, walked into the pool area, and there was Sam and Kevin. I haven't talked to them in four months. Wow. They go, what are you doing here? And I go, I just moved back. And they go, we've been at back a week. And Sam goes, I got married, dude. Come on. You can live with us. And they had a two-bedroom apartment. Jeez. And I went up and met his wife. He had married a, a woman that you know he had known since the church days. They knew him as a preacher. And so what had yeah, happened that's serendipity is, right so there, yeah, so that we were all back together again. We were going to the store again. Got jobs as a doorman at the store, and we would go work out every night. And his poor wife, who he was using to survive, she made the eighty grand a year, and which was big money back oh, in the eighty. Oh. And uh, we stayed out all night doing and hanging with comics and getting home at three, four in the morning, sleeping all day. And him not really giving her much time. So they started arguing about it. And so over the course of the next year or so, about a year, a year and a year and a half later, it was just she was fed up. She was never happy. And she was a great woman. She was never happy. Uh, and I knew why. It was gross to, to know, you know, like, uh, just, you, you know, and yeah. that's what Sam was doing to survive. One night I went to pick him up. I was not living with him anymore. Uh, had a little car, came to pick him up for our, our doorman job and hopefully a spot that night. And when I got there, they were yelling at the door and she threw something at him as I was about to leave and it smashed against the ins inside of the door. And he yelled back at her and he opened the door and didn't say a word, just went up to the car and got in. There's nothing to say. You know, it's hell. He's created his own hell. So we're driving to the, the comedy store. We get there. We were doormen. We get into our positions. We start seating people. And we're, it's not three acts in, and Arsenio canceled and couldn't make it that night. So they go, uh, Kennison, you're up next. And great. You know, he's, not, he's still carrying that fire. And he went up on stage, and there was some kid up front. And he goes, hey, you having fun? The kid goes, yeah. He goes, you married? He goes, no. He goes, well, you ever think about getting married? Remember this face. <laughs> and just let it all out in one big scream right in the kid's face. And the room went nuts. The room reacted to it. Wow. And, and I saw it, and Sam looked up, and I was always in the back when he performed. He looked at me like, yeah, yeah, I got it. You know, give me that. <laughs> Did you see what just happened? And so that was the night he found it and uh, took another year and a half, two years to perfect it. Wow. Because he became the guy who walked audiences for a long time. Oh. which is Because we did the late night spots. Yeah. Mitzi eventually gave us the late night spots. This is in the OR. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but when he got off stage um, from that show, did you, did? Oh no, yeah, he came and got me. We ran off. He goes, oh, because we we lived and breathed stand up. So every night after the comedy store, uh, if we didn't have any food, we'd steal all the bar fruit at the bar <laughs> mm -hmm. and put it in bags and go up to Mulholland and look out over the city and eat that and pretend that it was chips and pretend it was steak and pretend it was chicken. And meanwhile, talk about what we're going to do in this town and what our goals were. And, you know, because we, we wanted to be Ackroyd and Belushi. We wanted to go into film, oh, you know. So that was, that was the goal. And after that night, did you guys? Oh, like everybody. I mean, anybody that saw it would come up to Sam. You ought to talk about this. You ought to talk about that, you know, uh, in relationships. So we just started developing that thing. 
And at that point, was your act, like, uh, had it developed? I didn't get as many spots. I was the younger guy. I was five years younger. So in that comedy store, I was really the puppy. So I was the last guy picked to do spots. So my spots were less. Whereas Sam was getting more spots because he was a smoozer. I was shyer. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Okay. So so your act wasn't developing as... I wouldn't get a chance. Was the store the only much. place you guys were doing spots, or did you have other? Yes, because we worked there all night. Okay. Yes. Oh, so every night you were there, yeah, we so were you there had no other way to, to get there. For four years. To, I yeah. gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. So that's insane. So right at that moment, he started, like, and were you helping him trying to shape oh, yeah, what he was absolutely. doing, too? Oh, yeah, because we were with each other every night. We all live in an apartment together. We all talk and eat this, and he and I and Kevin. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, not long after him and his wife separated, uh, and then everybody lived on the streets for a while. I became trusted at the comedy store, so uh, people started leaving me their homes for a week because they would go on tour and ask me to watch it. So I'd watch their house for them, and then I'd bring five guys over and we'd stay there all week and live and eat and breathe comedy. And then I'd have them leave, you know, five hours before the people came back, and I spent all day cleaning their house, making it spotless. And then they came back. Oh, thanks, Carl. Oh, thank you, guys. I enjoyed this day. Thank you. You know, and we had that rhythm going, and then we started meeting. People that would become fans, and then I started getting more spots, and Mitzi liked me, so I got to hang out with a lot of the actor guys and develop, and I eventually ran into Robin Williams, who was, of course, my hero, too, because I had Robin on the wall of my uh, you know, house when I was going through high school, because Mark and Mindy was... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so I met him, and, and uh, he came in. I was managing the Westwood Comedy Store, mm-hmm. and I put together lineups every night, so I got to meet a lot of people. You know, that's how I met most of them is by they'd call in at five and at five thirty, I'd call them back, all of them, and give them the lineup for the night. You're on at nine thirty. Yeah. You're on at ten. That well, there's fifteen minute spots, you know. Yeah. But Michael Richards, Larry David, all these great guys, you know. Wow. That that I got to meet and uh and get to know uh, all their sides, you know, the act, uh the good act, the the great act, the bomb. Yeah. Larry David had the best bombs I thought anyone had ever had, ever. Because he was he was smart, you yeah, know, he was really a smart guy. But as neurotic as but a neurotic, which I never knew the Jewish neurotic character. You know, I'm French. I didn't have too many Jewish friends growing up. You never so saw Woody Allen when you were growing up. N- not really. Not till I became a comic. Oh, interesting. That I, that I found out he was Jewish. <laughs> I didn't know. You know what I mean? I didn't know the difference of I'm, all that stuff. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma. Did, yes, yes. You know, I like a good <laughs> I like a good cowboy song. <laughs> But but I can see what you're saying because like Woody Allen is just such a character in its own right that he's not even necessarily to be known as like the stereotypical kind of Jewish right. neurotic exactly. character. Exactly, I didn't he's know just, that. Woody Allen had his own funny. feeling. Yeah, yeah, it was just funny. He had his own yeah. style. Exactly, you know? and you could kind of chalk it up to being mm. like, oh, that's that guy's yeah, style. That's, that's a not great a Jew character. Style, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all that stuff was new to me. I was I was hanging out with that group, but I got to perform a lot in Westwood. That's where I started to blow open. Uh, who, who, who's open? Oh. So used to blow, I'm sorry, that was <laughs> one one time when I was eight. You're gonna keep bringing it up. <laughs> open Rogers. He was he was there a nice go. guy. There he was go. really nice. Guy. Hung like a horse. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to class this thing up. Oh, guys. okay, cool. I'm just trying to class it up. Cool. Oh, you are putting the ass in class, buddy. Uh. So Robin came in one night, and I go, oh, he goes, oh, hey, how are you? I go, good. I, uh, I said, you going to perform? He goes, yes, I'd like to get a spot, please. I said, yeah, of course. 
uh, when do you want to go on? He goes, oh, next. I can do this, and I'll run over to the store. Okay. If Robin Williams is here, I'm telling everybody, you know, Robin Williams is here. So he does this, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. The place goes nuts. And he just takes it, and, and he smelled. I remember when he came off, he was just soaking wet, and he just stunk like a horse. It was like the most rancid mm-hmm. smell, right? But it was Robin Williams, you know? So he just... Robin smell. He blew by me, you know? And I said to somebody, because they knew him, and they said something to him as he went out and got in his car. I go, God, I want to meet him. You know, I want to get to know him. And he goes, oh, get some Coke. <laughs> I go, what? I go, get some Coke. So I ended up finding out the next day. I got my paycheck. I made $100 a week to run that place. Okay. So I, I called a guy. This is how innocent I was. I called a guy and said... Hey, uh, Mark gave me your phone number. I'd like to get a, uh, some cocaine. <laughs> and he goes, what the? Shush, Jay, with the language. <laughs> Just meet me at Venice Beach, you know, at a certain time, you know. So I drove out there. <laughs> Hello, I would like to get some cocaine. Yes, yeah. If I can. Yes. I believe it's called the cocaine. I believe it. Is uh-huh. that what they, they're, they're calling and it? The so cocaine? <laughs> the booger sugar? <laughs> he goes, how much do you want? I go, I have no idea. I just want, I want to meet Robin Williams. He goes, oh, you want a gram? <laughs> so he gives me a gram, right? Because he knows him. So he gives me a gram, and he goes, "It's a hundred, hundred bucks." I went, "Ah, ah!" I didn't know you could get it smaller. <laughs> so I get the gram, and I'll figure out how to eat. But I'm eating Robin Williams tonight. You know what I mean? So I go to the store, got this vial in my pocket, and I'm waiting. Sure enough, he comes in again, ten o'clock. You know, comes rolling in. Oh, how you doing? I said, good. Uh, next? He goes, yes, it'll be great. I go, listen, when you get done, uh, I got something. He goes, oh, great. She goes on stage, does his thing, gets off, comes right after me. He's got that look. I said, all right. And we shoot into this little room where they store all the chairs. It's just, we're stuck. And I did the classic where I'm pulling it out now. It's my opportunity to tell him what he means to me. So I'm digging in my pocket for the Coke. It's like, Robin, I can't tell you what this means, man. I had a poster on my wall of you, and and now here I am in L.A. Just you know, two or three years later, and I'm I'm meeting you, and As you're I mean, you've yeah, yeah, I'm trying to open it. I don't know what I'm doing with it. He goes, well, let me let me see the way you talk. So I hand him the, the the vial, and he goes, bam, on his hand, boom, it's gone. And he hands me the bottle and goes, great, nice meeting you too, and walks out. <laughs> he did a gram in one snort. Gone. My hundred bucks gone, and I'm standing there. So you're thinking this is gonna be like a five hour like. I'm thinking uh, it's gonna be a ten minute meet and greet. Yeah. yeah. Like a conversation. Yes, and my name is, and this is where I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, right? So I go home and brew on it all night. Or go home. I slept on the stage, and I would take the um, uh, tablecloths off of the tables because I didn't have a place to stay at the time. So I slept in the club. Huh. So I'd drive away with everyone else and then I'd come back and open the club up. And then I'd take the tabletops off and oh I'd lay there on the stage and I'd wrapped up and I'd just lay there just mad at myself for being that guy, being that fan, Uh-oh. being that and having my ass handed to me. And I thought about it all day and then the next night rolled around and I was quiet. Hey, Carl, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. People coming in, the show's going on. And Robin shows up and uh, comes in and goes, hey, how you doing? And I go, good. I go, listen, when you got done, I got some more shit for you. He goes, great. So he goes on stage, does his thing, comes back, and I go into the room with him, and he's standing there with his hands ready to go. Oh, oh, yeah, you know. And I said, listen, my name's Carl. 
Uh, I've been out here for about two years. Uh, you're my hero. But you taught me a real valuable lesson last night, is not to idolize anybody, that we're all in the same craft. Um, I'm sorry for being a jackass, but I'll never do it again. I make 100 bucks a week, and I spent that 100 bucks just to meet you last night with that fucking Coke, and you did it like that. Uh, that'll never happen again. So nice meeting you, and you know I'll see you around. He goes, oh, wait a minute. Your name's Carl? I said, yeah. And he goes, listen, at a place in my life right now, 20 people a night want to do what they what you did to me last night, which is bump me up. He goes, I liked you. I know you're running this club. Uh, your friends talk about you nicely. So I trusted you, and that's why I did it with you. But yes, I was in a hurry last night. Let's start over. I'm Robin. You're Carl. And here's 500 bucks. Buy yourself some food. Uh, take care of yourself, and I'll see you from now on, and this is how we'll know each other. And I said, well, thanks. And after that, hey, Carl, how you doing, buddy? And he came in, and we talked and became friends. And when I went to La Jolla six months later, he was doing a commercial down there, staying in the same condo building I was. And every morning woke me up, and I'd run 10 miles with him because I was a runner. And I ran 10 miles with him in the morning, and that's where I got to know him and eventually do a lot of improv with him. But that was the start of a friendship. But just that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, Those yeah, magical yeah. moments when you're sleeping on the floor, you're sleeping in your car, and all you're dreaming about is your set and what two bits you can flip a little bit just to make them better mm -hmm. and find your voice and find your confidence. And then somebody like that who you end up either having an argument with or confronting or you think they're treating you wrong, but you don't get their fame. You don't get the game at that level. And they are kind enough to stop Realize what happened, make it right, and after that, the doors open. Yeah. And then they're normal to you. They're not celebrities. They're friends to you. But that. also, how cool of you to not be in an in a truly angry position when you right. approached him because well, he really you could have been. Left yeah, but but you could have been like, hey, man, you know, just because you're famous, you didn't have to be a right, dick. Like right. you could have been angry, right. but you kind of just approached it. Sounds like in an incredibly diplomatic way, but also standing up for yourself and your own values, right. your own integrity, right. and you know, obviously from 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 his character, picked up on that and yeah. responded in kind. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm a huge law of attraction person, so well, everything that you've said today yeah, is like too. so resonating. You I have no believe idea. he passed away today, or Robin. August 14th, was it the 14th or the 11th? It was <laughs> yesterday or today. Yesterday, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Oh, that was heartbreaking to me. Yeah, absolutely. See, I remember I met him because he was my, he, he was, when I saw Robin Williams live at the Met, Yeah, that was the special that, or the moment, I should say, that I went, that's what I want to do. Because up mm -hmm. to that point, I yeah. was a funny, goofy sure. kid. Yeah. I just didn't know how to You saw somebody it. put it together. Exactly. Yeah. I saw that, that that's what I want to do. I hung out with him and Jonathan Winters oh. at the ABC County Awards in the late 80s. So it was myself, maybe Lenny Clark, Sam Kennison. We were all there at this award ceremony, mm -hmm. you know, ABC Comedy Awards. Yeah. And Jonathan Winters walked up, and then Robin and all of us got into this 20-minute thing that you walk away going, that banter was phenomenal. <laughs> that improv with the table napkin went on for 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> well, God, I can't just, yeah, yeah. Just having those two minds yeah. together alone. And B. Arthur sitting at the table going, sit your fucking asses down, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> she was Maud. Of course, I know yeah, B. She, Arthur. Come she was on. a great broad too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, you've met some fucking uh -huh. nut yeah. man. 
Yeah. Like some of the people that you've got to uh, meet like that. I was saying like um, when I, I uh, like I said, I liked Robin and I finally got to meet him at Melrose and like I think 2006 or seven, he mm-hmm. was in town shooting a film and there was rumors that Robin was coming by and I was standing in the back of the room by the, uh, the uh, lighting board and everything in that mm-hmm. corner and all of a sudden somebody comes in this figure and is a little shorter than me but even from behind, I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking Robin. And then after a couple minutes, he walks out, and I, I happen to have my, this is before cell phone cameras, I happen to have my camera on me. I just walked out, I said, uh, Mr. Williams, I'm a comedian, I'm, which is pretty much what you did, just yeah, one sure. of those guys. Sure, yeah. And I said, you know, uh, can I please get a picture? He said, oh, of course, come here, come here, Chip. And he puts his arm around me, and yeah, I got a, yeah. a Chip, I think he called me Chip. <laughs> and, um, but then years later, did you ever work uh, the Throckmorton up in Mill Valley? No. Uh, if I did, it was once, because I know that name. Yeah, yeah. Mark Pitta used to book yeah. it. And Robin uh, lived up there, yeah. up in that Bay Area. So there were times he would come in, because it was this beautiful, like, 300-seat theater, very small and intimate. He would come in just to work out, because he lived there. So this one night, we're walking in the green room, and um, uh, we open the door, and Mark's ahead of me. goes, oh, pizza's here. That means Robin's here. And I think, Allison, you were with me. Mm-hmm. And we walk in, and fucking there he was, just hanging out in the green room. And Mark said, uh, all right, so Flip, here's what's going to happen. You're going to close, but then Robin's coming up after you right. as like a treat. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yes. Treat for me, too. Treat yeah, for right. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So I'm on stage, and there's a, it's a, there's a ground floor and then a little balcony. So I'm on stage. I'm doing my bits. And in the darkness, up in the balcony, I just hear, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, yeah. fuck. And I can't mistake that laugh. Yeah, I was right. just like, Robin fucking Williams is laughing at my <laughs> shit right now. That, to me, that was just like yeah. the... Two uh, of the most distinctive laughs are Yakov Smirnoff's and his. Robin's. Oh, yeah. Robin. Like, eh, yeah. Eh. yeah, he's got a laugh, too. Yeah, yeah, that's... And he w- now, back in the Comedy Store heyday, because I'd heard about the Comedy Store house up on the hill behind yeah. the club. Did you ever live in that? I sure did. Did you? Yeah. Like, we're, I, who I are you the living library. there with? I had the library room. I've never seen the house. Oh, okay. I just know of so it. So when you come downstairs, I think there was eight or nine rooms Jeez. in this mansion. It used to be Raymond Burr's mansion in the huh. 40s and 50s. Wow. Yeah. So it was quite the place. You could put 100 people on the balcony for a barbecue and see the city of Los Angeles from 50 feet above. Oh, my God. You're the level where, you know, the city expands low. Yeah. But up by the comedy store, it's just up on that hill behind the comedy store. Yeah, yeah. It was phenomenal. But Louis Anderson lived there. This is uh, while you're living there? Uh-huh. Dice, myself, uh, and then a lot of improv actors that did it. They had improv groups at the comedy store also on okay. Mondays. So Monday night you'd have the comedy store players, which were Jim Stahl and the, uh, I don't really remember those guys very well. I mean, they were phenomenal, but they were actors. They did a lot of movies, bit parts in movies and stuff. They had acting schools. They were part of these troops, but on Monday night, they did a thing called the Comedy Store Players, which is the best group, yeah. and they got to do an hour, and Robin was always in that group. So they did sketch work, you know, where they go out, okay, what, is, what job does Robin have? A waiter, you know, and then, you know, they'd set all that stuff up mm-hmm. on Monday, to a packed 500-seat room. And then eventually, Mitzi gave me and Sam, she goes, I want you guys to do an improv, girl. And... Uh, we gotta find you a name. I'll think of it. And then, you know, an hour later, somebody ran up with a note while we were dormanting. Mitzi wants you guys to do a group. She's called the Soapers. I go, what the hell's a Soper? It's a downer pill. <laughs> 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 so Sam and I formed this group uh, with two actresses, 
uh, that were around a lot. And then we started doing our dark, dark sketch because we had to learn how to keep an audience after an hour of Robin Williams and these other great acts. So a lot of comics had groups on Monday night. Uh, f- uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Fred, Fred Asparagus, his name was Freddie Asparagus, didn't know his real name till after he died, uh, Freddie Rivera, but his name was Freddie Asparagus the whole time I knew him. We were friends forever, you know, from 80 to uh, 2000, I think, whenever he passed. Um, big guy. And he had a, uh, an acting school that he taught there Monday afternoons with Andy Garcia. Oh, wow. Those two were best friends, and Andy wasn't a star yet. So it just started to come together for Andy Garcia during that time. So people were going and getting acting classes for two hours from Andy Garcia. This is at the store? At the comedy store on Monday nights. Wow. Yeah. And then the, and then the improv group started. So we all did these things, but we had to learn to keep an audience afterwards. Because as soon as Rob Williams and the, you know, then there's five more comedy troops, but no one's going to stay because they just saw yeah, the biggest like star in television, Rob Williams. Right there, yeah. right, good night, boom. They all, so then they all left. So we had to come up with bits. So we came up with a bit where all the lights went out as soon as they walked off stage. Boom, lights are out, nobody can leave. And then we'd set our chairs up and do Mr. Death was our first bit. <laughs> You know, so we had these these that's, things. That's actually very good. We had good, to learn uh, yeah. from experiences, like yeah. doing your club dates and realizing what it takes to do to move up the ladder and all that other stuff. You know, and just how experience. to how to like you said, hold an audience. Yeah, like people don't understand there is really a lot of uh, going on in our minds. Yeah, to maintain focus to yes. maintain interest and to mm-hmm. maintain the yeah. audience wanting to when you're not remain. being funny be really interesting exactly exactly what, what keeps somebody in their seat what keeps someone waiting for you what's the next thing coming out because yeah. you don't even know half the time no well you know your bits but the moments create these improv situations absolutely and, and sometimes and things happen someone says something to yeah you. sometimes yeah. bits aren't working and you feel that like okay let me go into the crowd yeah let I me shift let me shift exactly uh-huh. let me riff and bring the you know the excitement back up like mm-hmm. oh he's walking a little tightrope and yep. then you got the excitement here yeah let's go back into the bits yeah yeah there's a lot going on there man what was the other night when i was hosting that first night when mm-hmm. i hosted i don't pay attention no no uh, uh the, an experience where somebody just did that whole Racial piece that was brilliant, and I was off. You know, like uh, remember I told you that every, every act I was listening for the last minute or so right, right, right. to find a tag. I was pretending it was Academy Awards, so I go up and I go, "Oh, speaking of racism," and then I do the little, then bring somebody else on. Well, so he just done this whole th- really nice bit on racism. It was very funny, and it made me remember an experience that I went up and and did before I introduced the next act. But the response from it, it's just a story in my life. I've never done it on stage. But I was doing a show in Vegas. Uh, one of the, you know, you know how friends from high school surprise you. And one of my high school you know, a group of friends showed up. And one of the wives of one of my buddies came up to me when I was shaking hands with the audiences that were leaving. And she points to this one guy with a mustache. And she said, that guy's a racist. I go, what? She goes, that guy right there is a racist. And I, and. It angered me that she was obviously sitting next to him during the show when I was performing and he was doing either racial stuff or something that offended her. And when he got up, I kind of said, like, I didn't shake his hand. And I said, you know, if you're going to start trouble, then why don't you start it somewhere else? Or so I blew him off at his party. 
Like, she was so offended. She's the wife of my friend. And if she's saying that, you know. So they walked off with this weird look on their face. Like, they didn't understand. And then her husband comes walking up. And he goes, yeah, that's Kyle Petty, man. Kyle Petty. He's a race car driver. (laughs) And I looked over at his wife. She goes, yeah, he's a racist. I go, no. (laughs) Now he's, he's a race car driver. God. I just treated this guy like shit. Because <laughs> I thought he offended you during my show. <laughs> he's a racist. And he's walking out going, that guy must really Instead hate Instead of NASCAR. he's a famous race car driver. Is that what you mean? I don't know him. I don't watch races. You know. <laughs> and he's yeah, walking out but going, I man, that But I never told that story a... on stage till that person sparked that memory. That's and that's a great bit. Just as a yeah, as there it is now. Yeah, that that happened. I was doing the uh, Traverse City Comedy Festival in um, Traverse City, Michigan, with mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Garland and um, Michael Moore, okay. for the yeah, producers. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, got a lot of great comics at this thing, and we're doing this like kind of one-off show in the basement of this uh, bookstore. And um, Jeff says, "Okay, this is a storytelling show." And uh, we're going to come up with a topic, and you guys got to go up and tell a story about this. And uh, he's on stage, and he's talking to some girl. It was about a masseuse. I think it was a masseuse uh, that he that worked on him earlier in the day. He goes, all right, so, t- you know, so this is going to be a storytelling about mas- ma- massages. Hey, comics, you're all doing massage stories. And in my head, I'm like, I don't, like, I don't, have, a mas- I don't have a massage joke. I don't have a massage. So I'm kind of getting – and I just smoke, too. So I'm a little high. Sure. Yeah, I'm paranoid. And now I'm like, yeah. and I'm like freaking out. Like, what am I going to talk about? And this is big. now we're overthinking. Yeah, now, right. Sure. Overthinking. Sure. It. And then all of a sudden, I remembered the story that happened to me when I was a kid. It was a true story um, where I was at this uh, party, about 16 years old, and this girl was like, she's like, oh, my back is sore. And I said, well, uh, you know, I could give you a massage. And she goes, really? I go, yeah, because I, my mother had taught me how to give a good massage by having me massage her. My mom would say, massage my shoulder, Sonny. No, no, a little. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. So I started massaging this girl, and she's like, get really relaxed. She goes, wow, you're really good at this. And without thinking, I go, well, yeah, I used to practice on my mom. And she just kind of looked at me like, I'm like, no, no I, you know, because my mom was. <laughs> so I just told that story on right. stage, and I got this great laugh. And Garland comes up and goes, that was funny. Is that a bit? I go, no. And he goes, well, it is now. Yeah. And that became like this yep. bit in my act for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's just funny how... Remembering these just random moments can sometimes spark yeah. a great chunk. Yeah, it's, it's in the honesty of truth yeah. that something pops. People get it, being uncomfortable, being embarrassed, all that stuff that just comes out of some simple twist of a word. Yeah, you know? yeah. I love it, too. Twi- I, oh, I love the structure and everything, too. And you're right, man, because I think, um, and just back to what we were talking about uh, before, just acts develop when you start, when, when you I guess veer from what the obscure observations are and really start looking at yourself uh-huh. and how to make your life funny and how to uh, take uh, how to see the funny in your life. how to see the funny in your yeah. life exactly right. and uh, what's your take on it on stage because that's the best of us in that moment that's the best of our humor off stage we're not that guy twenty four seven no you know but on stage that's the best of that presentation whatever it is forty minutes an hour mm-hmm. whatever that thing is. It's a timing, it's a cadence, it's a long swim. Yeah. And, and you're showing them all the different sides of who you are in that time period. Exactly, exactly. Being honest with every type of person you've been in your life. 100%. So the embarrassment, the strength, the told this guy this, or this happened, you know. Or the hurt. Or the, the hurt, yeah. Exactly. 
And I was going to say it. Uh, I think I honestly think Sam was one of the best ones at that about uh, um, locking into who the pain that he was feeling or yeah, the, the ride uh-huh. that his life was mm-hmm. and presenting it perfectly on stage. Yeah, like it. Uh, it, 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 I don't know. It's it's hard to uh, express, but like, did you ever feel that his uh, his comedy ever got too truthful up there? Like, no. was he opening up no. about shit that you were like, "Geez, Sam, that's a little." No, weird. no. Uh, he, he brought stuff up, but I, I, I knew him, you know, from day one. So the celebrity never threw me off because he wasn't a celebrity to me. He was my buddy. Uh, the life that he ended up living is what. I didn't like the offstage. He became a storm offstage. He, he, oh, he, he lived very well with disenchantment and, and uh, people being upset around him and the cart being tipped over at all times. Uh, he lived perfectly calm and everyone else being totally discombobulated and thrown off kilter. And he loved that. He could work in that. So his life was, you know, his day life. He didn't go to bed at night like normal people. He stayed up till five every every time. He couldn't go to, he didn't do anything by himself. He had to have everyone there. So he bought food. He bought drugs. He bought, he constantly kept people from leaving. And I called him a party goalie. He was, you know, you couldn't leave the house. You came into the party but he was the party goalie. You couldn't leave. If he saw you getting up to leave, then he'd go and work you. Tell you, oh, okay, we'll stay another two hours. You know, uh, because he had to have that around him at all times. Was it know? because you think he was afraid to be Whatever by his demons, yeah. yeah. Be by himself. Uh, you know, he hurt a lot of people. And, and he, be, he wanted not to be responsible for people's souls anymore like he had been for seven years in the ministry. So he wanted to be the opposite now. So he wanted to start shit. He, you know, he put everybody in compromising positions uh, with friendships. He, he got people on drugs that we shouldn't have been on. He got, I mean, it, he was a master of manipulation and all that. So when I saw him on stage, I knew when his shows were perfect as an artist. And I also knew when he was lying. Mm. You know, so... That was hard to see when he was telling people he was cleaning up and he was off, you know, and you just watched him do a gram and a half before he went on stage. And, but he took a pill for his heart problem so that he wouldn't get too high. He's like, dude, why don't you just stay off both? That way you're normal. Why are you doing pills now? After, why are you doing downers after you're fucking just a kid? Well, because it evens it out. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But he was set for an early grave. You know how you look at it now and you go, God, he just wanted to die. <laughs> you know, he just did everything he could. Like, how do you, and he was a bull. How do you survive lines as long as this table? How do you do that? I, you know, he just did. Do you think he had a death wish? Uh, I think he had a, yeah, I don't give a fuck wish. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He knew. Uh, I heard, he, someone told me that he told him he was going to die before he was 40. Really? Yeah. They voiced it. Because, so. I mean, the way it happened was just, I think it, everybody was thinking that it would be the Belushi way, right. not this just sudden, you know, right, getting uh, hit by a car, getting hit yeah. by a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was on the way to uh, a game, Laughlin. Wasn't it? Yeah, Laughlin uh-huh. from L.A. Yeah, and if you've ever done Laughlin, you see why he chose death. That. Day. <laughs> <laughs>
Nothing to do there but a river ride. So. <laughs> oh fuck, man! You, um, I remember where I was. I was uh, I was in a Jewish youth group at the time uh-huh. in USY, and I remember I was because uh, it was uh, April of '92, right? Mm-hmm. I was uh, at a um, at a con- like some get together, and I remember I was in the line to get food, and somebody came up like, "Did you fucking hear Sam Kennison died?" And I was like, "Wait, what?" They said, yeah, Kenneth, and I, and I said, OD. He goes, no, man, I think a car accident. It's just like a bunch of us were big fans, and we all, like, it just ruined the weekend for us. We just all were so taken aback by that, man. Yeah. A couple of months before he died, I pulled him aside once, and I said, listen, if you die from drugs, then you make me the biggest fucking asshole who's ever walked the planet. Because everybody knows that I've supported you, been by your side, and I'll do anything for you. I'm the little brother. That everybody wished they had. So I'm a protector. So don't don't die from drugs, please, for me. Because I'll be the survivor of this shit. And they go, why are you stopping from doing drugs? Not knowing I'm trying to stop you every night. Please. Right. I promise you, Carl, I won't die from drugs. I promise you. And he did. Man he just promised. He saw a car. He went, well, this will help Carl. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. wherever he is right now, I'm sure he's clean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. Come on. Yes, I'm, I'm right. going to heal you, but that's I got right. to go. That's right. <laughs> well, before we go, my friend, there's one thing we like to do on this show, because speaking of... Uh, I'm not taking my clothes off. My back hurts. All right. Allison, take your clothes off. Again? Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's wait. how you got me to do this podcast. <laughs> Dance around, honey. Uh, this... <laughs> True story. Uh, this is a little part of the show right. called The Skippy Green Show. Okay. It's The Skippy Green Show. Oh, oh my fucking God. It has been too long, my friend. Too long. I remember back in, uh, in 83, you remember this? We were working down at the old Chuckle Fuck Hut down in Sheboygan. And I remember we both looking at this hot waitress. You remember this? I look at this hot waitress, and Carl says, "What do you say? I get it from the front. You get it from the back." I said, "Sounds good." As I'm fucking her, she shits all over me. And I remember Carl looked at me and he goes, "You're gonna change your shirt?" And I go, "No, no. It's like that old saying: if she shit, you know, if the if the foo shits, wear it. her name was Defu. I forgot to mention <laughs> that. If Defu shits, wear it. It's all about the setup." <laughs> and I'm the king of screwing it up. I am the king of <laughs> fucking up the setup. All right, Carl. Yes. I'm glad you're comfortable. Yes. You threw your back out. Mm-hmm. It's all right. That- he, was from, he was from fucking your mother, Skippy. Didn't you know? Anyway. I practice on my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody practices on your mother. That's why we call her the motherfucker. That was my drummer. All right, here's how it works, Carl. I'm going to ask you a question. All right. And you've got to answer the question. Oh, cool. This is different. In 10 words exactly. Oh, in 10 words exactly. Exactly. Okay. She'll keep track okay. of Okay. Fingers okay. McGee over here. All right. All right. 11, not 9. Not 11, not 9. nine. Ten. 10 words exactly. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could fuck. 
while high on any drug, what drug would it be and why? And a little tip here, don't waste words going, it would be blah, because, because you're going to be, so just usually start with blank, because, then you have room to stretch. I could fuck on a drug. On any drug. Any drug. Any drug. Any drug. What drug would it be and why? Ten words exactly. Aspirin. That way, she won't have any fucking excuses. Period. <laughs> Including her period. Oh, I like his period. Emphasis. That was fantastic. I'll be honest. Nowhere near the answer I thought you were going to give. I will be totally... <laughs> you know, my Flintstones chewables. Because if she can eat a bedrock, she can eat my cock. Is that Come on, Trauma. That's beautiful. Carla Boom. It's the Skippy Green Show. <laughs> dude, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much for sitting here and talking, man. Oh, sorry about your back. <laughs> And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you tomorrow on your headlining show. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Absolutely, man. Uh, where can find, uh, people find you online or anything? No. No? Megan'slaw.com. <laughs> you can find Carl LeBove's profile there. The Twitter and the Instagram. Cool. That's yeah. Carl LeBove. Carl underscore LeBove. Mm. That's L-A-B-O-V-E. Correct. Carl, W-S-W-F. Huh? huh? What? <laughs> I spell it different. <laughs> such a Such a rebel. <laughs> And, of course, you can find Allison uh, at Allison Comedy on Twitter and AllisonComedy.com. Uh, and uh, what's for dinner podcast.com, FlipIsFunny.com for tour dates and stuff. And uh, please uh, don't forget, I got a new CD, Flipsophrenic, and a new comedy special, Supercilious, all available at the website. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and uh, we will see you later. Bye-bye. What's for dinner? What's for dinner? What, what's for dinner? Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds. Talking, talking about what's ever on their minds.